guys, you know, Acts chapter 27, there's a Bible in front of you. Uh, there's a table of contents that will lead you to the book of Acts. We are starting uh, a three-week series looking at Acts chapter 27 called Hold Fast. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at clinging to, holding fast to three things. This morning, we're going to look at leadership and influence and clinging to influence. Uh, next week, we're going to look at clinging to hope. And Maybe, maybe you're, you or a friend of yours is in a situation where uh, hope is all that's left. And so next weekend, we're going to talk about that. And then week three, we're going to talk about clinging to the cross. Uh, now, I need to do a little bit of work to get us set up before we get in the text. Uh, and here's the reason why. We're going to talk a lot about leadership today. And in our culture of leadership development and training and podcasts and conferences and blogs, uh, we, we can have a tendency to hear the word leadership and go, oh, that's not me. I don't run a business. I don't run a corporation. I don't run a church. I don't, I'm not in charge of anything. Well, here's the problem with that is that leadership influence is, it applies to every single person in here. John Maxwell says it this way. Leadership is not about titles, positions, or flow charts. It's about one life influencing another. And so with that kind of idea, we're going to dive into influence because here's what I know. Um, every single person in this room is influencing someone. You might be influencing people that work with you or work for you. You might be influencing uh, the chaos that you call a carpool. You might be influencing a roommate, influencing your children, your family, influencing um, just, you can just name it, right? There's tons of people. And at the very common denominator, every single one of us wake up each morning and looks in a mirror and we see someone that we're influencing. So at the very common denominator, every single person in here and in the sanctuary is leading yourself. And then a lot of us are leading others. And then there's even another category of leading leaders who are leading others. So the very common denominator Every single one of us is leading. Now, Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, Paul actually addresses how to lead well in three environments. He starts in, in Ephesians chapter 5, and he talks about the husband and the wife. The husband should love his wife like Christ loves the church and lay down his life for her, and that the wife should love and respect and submit to the husband in the same way that we, as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church, should submit to Jesus. It goes from there into uh, how parents, how, husbands, how mothers and fathers and kids should relate to one another. And then it ends in Ephesians 6 with uh, how a, a, a bondservant and a master should, should engage each other. And a bondservant is simply this. It was someone who, uh, more like an indentured servant, you know, they would get some land or they'd get some property or they'd get a, a farming tool or something. And to pay it off, they would work and give part of their crops back to the person who gave it to them. So basically, it's a working relationship. So in Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, it talks all about influence and leadership and how we should relate to each other and how we should lead each other. And it all hinges on Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that says this, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Now, I needed to lay this foundation. I want us going into Acts 27 with two things on our mind. Number one, Everyone in here is a leader. You're leading, at, at the most common denominator, you're leading yourself, you're influencing yourself, and then a really high majority of the room, at some degree, is influencing others. Right? 
one. The second thing I need you to, and we need to be just kind of have in our minds as we're walking through this is not only you're a leader, but true biblical influence starts with understanding submission. Like to be a great leader, to be very influential, it starts with understanding that we should submit to one another just like we would submit to Christ. Acts 27, here we go. Verse 1, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, rewind the last few chapters and the last few months here we've been studying, um, Paul is going to Rome for trial. So it was decided that Paul would go to Caesar for trial. They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship called the Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out from the sea, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we went to Myra and Lycia. Right? All right. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you a little coaching. If you're in disciple group this week and they go, hey, someone read this. Here's all you got to do. Read it fast and loud. Just own it. Right? No one knows. Right? We're just making it up. I'm getting my master's degree. I took Greek. You just, you just get to this and go, blah, blah, blah. And if you say it really fast and really loud, no one has time to even know if you said it right. Right? Now, here's the reason all of these locations and cities are in here. It's not just a tongue twister. Okay? This, the reason Luke put all this stuff in here is Luke is just recording an actual event. This is actual history, and Luke's just recording it, okay? Verse 6, There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty all Snidus. And the wind did not allow us to go further. We sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon, coasting along with difficulty as we came to the place called Fair Havens near which is the city of Lycia. So Paul is a prisoner. He's under the authority of, of Julius, the, the Augustan cohort, the centurion, centurion Julius. Paul's under his authority. And at this point, uh, Julius has got these prisoners on, on the first boat. They did about half the leg. And now he's, they've, 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 uh, they've caught a connecting boat ride, a connecting flight. They're on the second boat heading towards Italy. The, the centurion's in charge. They're partnering with these, with these boat owners to get the prisoners to Rome. Verse 9. Since much time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. And Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Now, here's, here's where Paul's at. Paul's in the same spot that we live in every day. Paul was under authority. But Paul was not in charge of this boat ride. Paul was under authority. And so Paul realizes, I think I have some information that would be useful for the decision to be made. Paul's like, I, I know that it's after the, fa- after, uh, after the fast is over, so the winds are going to start coming heavier and heavier, making this more difficult. I'm imagining just in you know, his quiet time, just praying, I'm imagining he's getting this, this, this sense from God that, hey, this is not going to end well, right? So Paul has three options when he realizes, I'm not, in, I'm not in charge, but I've got useful information. He's got three options. The first option is this, mutiny, right? Paul's a prisoner. He's surrounded by prisoners. 
Prisoners are notoriously good at not behaving, right? So he could go, hey, prisoners, guess what? We're taking over the ship, right? Arr, we're going to have a mutiny, all right? I don't know if they were pirates and prisoners, but they, in my mind, they are, okay? So he could have said, hey, those guys are idiots. We're just going to take over, okay? His second option is this, abdication. Paul could have abdicated going, here's what I know. I know that God told me I'm going to Rome, and I know that God told me this boat's going down. So Paul could have said, it's not my job to tell them that because I'm going to Rome whether this boat goes down or not. So he could have completely abdicated the responsibility. It's not my problem. I'm not, that's not my problem. I don't have anything to do with it, right? The third thing is this. He could have had influence. This is what Paul chooses. He chooses the influence. He goes, sirs. What is he doing? He's honoring the authority in front of him. He's saying, sirs, I, I, I think I have information that you, you need to make the right decision. Paul understood that even though he was under authority, he would either choose to honor it or he would try to buck the authority that God put in place. So what's Paul do? He honors it. He's honored. Now, here's what you need to hear for all of us who are under authority. Some of us are under authority, and we would say, hey, I'm under authority, and the authority I'm under, I trust. I think they make the right decisions. They're great, right? Submitting to good authority is not really an issue. However, there's some of us in the room that goes, look, I'm under authority, and if you knew my boss, you would know what kind of idiot they are. They're a poor manager, right? Or some of you wives, don't elbow anybody, but if you knew my husband, you would be like, I, you would be questioning the whole book of Ephesians, right? Look, I understand that there's authority, right? Every, every student just said, you don't even know my math teacher. Look, I know your math teacher. They're all the same. That God bless them for teaching calculus, right? The reason they keep calculus is because, well, never mind. There might be a math teacher in here. I might get in trouble, right? So we're all, you will naturally go. There are people, I'm under their authority, and I don't trust them. You know what you're supposed to do when you don't trust their authority? Trust the one who put them there. So Colossians says that all authority, principalities, governments, everything has been set up through the preeminence of Christ. And so what you need to know is that some of you are under authority because God's trying to prune you. And so you may go, I don't know if I can try this, this. My boss, my whatever is crazy. You're not surprising God with that information. What God's telling you is this, submit. Just like King David submitted to King Saul. King Saul was psycho, like literally psycho. And King David submitted to him under authority. So Paul says, look, I don't think these guys are going to make the right decision, but I'm going to submit to them. I'm going to try to be influential by submitting and honoring. Verse 11. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Paul had the right answer. Absolutely the right answer. We shouldn't sail. It's not a good idea. But he had the wrong position. Okay? There's not many advisory boards that have a prisoner on them. Okay? I want to introduce you to my advisory board. This is CEO, this is the president, this is a prisoner, this is the captain, right? That didn't happen often. Paul didn't have, the, didn't have the right position. However, the guys with the right position didn't have the right answer. So you got the, Paul's got the right answer, wrong position, and then you got the captain, the owner, the pilot of the ship has the right position, but doesn't have, he has the wrong answer. And so what happens here is, is a, um, a dichotomy that we, we, we're going to face a lot is that the right position does not mean designate the right answer every time. And, it, and, a, and a wrong position doesn't, does, doesn't mean that they cannot have the right answer. So they get this tension here of what do they trust more, the right answer or the right position. Sometimes they're the same. Oftentimes they're not. Right? Verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out, from, put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, 
facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Here's what it says. The harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in. This, is a, this should be a red flag danger. Here's how they start making their lifelong future decisions. What's our current circumstances? It's a danger. Every time you sit back and go, you start letting current circumstances determine what you're going to do and where you're going to go, it's a danger, right? What they saw was a, was a harbor, and they're like, I just don't think this is safe. I don't think this is suitable for the winter. So instead of going, well, where are we going? What are we trying to do? Are there other options? They just go, this isn't suitable, so let's just keep sailing. Now, we don't have weather as a um, controlling factor in many of our decisions as far as, like, vision and dream. Okay, now this past week, yeah, it's okay. But Florida, it was only 37 degrees, so you're fine, okay? Just put a coat on, put a toboggan on, and go, okay? But we don't, we're not trying to decide the next year of our life based off of what we can do in and out of weather, right? For us, you know what it is most of the time? Our bank account. We start wrestling between the calling of God and the circumstances we're in, right? And, and I, this is not, this is, I'm, I'm with you, I'm in this one, right? We live life where we go, I think God's called us to do this, but here's my current circumstances. And instead of hoping and dreaming and, and trying to hear God's voice and where he could be leading us, we just stand crippled and paralyzed by where we're at. That's why as a church, uh, starting in February 10th, we're going to do a church-wide, disciple group-wide, compass financial curriculum, stewardship curriculum for our disciple groups. Why? Because we want our people to know how to manage their money wisely. So that whatever God calls this church to do, and whatever God calls your family to do, that your current circumstances cannot hold you back from what God's calling you to do. And if you're not in a disciple group yet, here, here's my challenge. Just try one for the next nine weeks. And if you don't like it after nine weeks, then we'll let you, there's like, you're not signing a contract for the rest of your life, okay? This isn't, this isn't your sell your phone plan, okay? Just for nine weeks, try it, walk through the stewardship curriculum with us. Man, even if you just, even if it's just a pragmatic, whether you got like you can't get home because you don't have enough gas, or you've got millions of dollars, pragmatically, you need to know how to manage it better. Everyone can grow. So if you just grow in that, and for nine weeks, then that would be a benefit to you because what you'd be able to do is go, "What's God calling me to do now? How do I leverage what I've got to do that?" Versus, "What's my current circumstances and what am I handcuffed to?" Right. Keep going in verse twelve. So the circumstances were not suitable. So the majority decided to put out to sea from there. Here's what they do. The circumstances aren't suitable. Paul weighs in his opinion. Uh, the pilot and the captain weighs in his opinion. And then what do they do? Point leadership? No. Group vote. They vote, okay? They, I don't know what they do. They just, all in favor of, of sailing, all in favor of staying. They take a vote. The majority wins. Point leadership has no role here, right? The centurion abdicates in all of his decision-making responsibilities to the whim, to the desire of the whole. Right? Now, I'm going to tell you, this does not go well throughout Scripture. Throughout the history of the church, voting has not been the most positive thing. Okay? You can start in Genesis, Adam and Eve. Eve nominates, I nominate, we vote, should we eat this fruit? Adam goes, I second the notion, and all in favor, I. So they vote. Two people vote yes, no, nobody votes no, they eat the fruit, sin for humanity for the rest of the world, Right? Uh, Joseph's brothers, well, fast forward, Joseph was a, was a brother who got the awesome dream, technicolor dream coat, and he roared that thing out. He's like, look at this thing, it's awesome. And his brothers go, give me the coat. They vote. Now, they vote the first time 11 to 1 to kill him. 
And the one brother goes, let's not kill him. Let's revote. Let's sell him into slavery. 12 to 0, sell him into slavery. Okay? Voting did not go well for Joseph. God used the situation, but it wasn't really awesome to get voted by your brothers to go into slavery. Okay? The golden calf, right? Uh, Moses leads Israel out of Egypt. And they get out to the, they're on the path to the promised land. And Moses is leading them. And then Moses goes to get the Ten Commandments. And they have a vote. The vote is this. Should we make a golden calf and worship it instead of Yahweh? All in favor? Aye. They vote for the golden calf. Moses comes down the hill. He burns the calf. He makes them drink water with gold flakes in it. Ooh. And then God casts a plague. And 3,000 people are killed because they, they would not repent of their sin. Okay? Voting's not going well. How about the book of Judges? Anybody read the book of Judges? It should be subtitled, The Cul-de-Sac of Stupidity. Okay? Just the whole book. If you want to read it and feel a little bit better about your dumb decisions as, as throughout your life, it'll help. Okay? The whole book of Judges is this. Israel loves God. They serve God. Israel loves themselves and starts serving themselves. God gives them over to their sin, and people come in. Consequences, they, they go under, under captivity to other nations. They beg God, please come save us. God saves them. Okay? It's this cycle. And throughout this whole cycle, what you see over and over and over again is the people going, hey, y'all want to y'all just kind of abandon God and do it our way, all in favor? I, Right? Then judges ends, and what happens? Uh, they go to God, and they God, God, we voted, and we want a king. Like our nation, we voted, we want a king. So God says, I'll give you your king, which was great. King Saul united the, the tribes. And then guess what? Saul went psycho, like just straight psycho. Like David would come in and play the harp. And Saul would take a spear and try to kill the heart player. I mean, just went crazy over and over again. Jesus and Barabbas, all right? The people vote, all right? Here's Jesus, done nothing wrong, perfect. Here's Barabbas. He's started riots. He's a thief. He's a murderer. And the people go, we'll vote. We like Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. He's like our boy. Give him to us. Kill Jesus, right? Now, thank God he's sovereign enough to take that one and work it out in our for our gain, all right, over and over and over again. Every time, every time somebody votes in the book of Acts, Paul's just like, this could kill me. Like, literally, this could be the time I die, right? He gets stoned, he gets shipwrecked, I mean, just over and over again, right? The Crusades, all right? I, like, at some point, somebody was sitting in a room and, and began to talk about, we should go to war, and everybody just said, yeah. And they voted with their action. And that is not a bright spot of our church history. And even in this country, right, there were churches who would meet and vote. And their vote would be, no minorities allowed here. You see, voting um, over and over and over again, um, it just erodes the leadership that God has placed to lead churches. Throughout the all of scriptures, it's just dangerous when people begin to vote. Because what happens is not the people, it's, it's this. The danger is that God has given to some the calling to lead. And what some have done with that leadership is abdicate responsibility and just let people lead themselves. So you look throughout the whole story of Scripture, and the, you look throughout Acts 26 here, and there's just this, this, this cry of this. This is not the point for, the, for this morning. We are all placed in a point of influence and given the opportunity to lead ourselves, to lead others, and for some of us to even lead leaders who have the opportunity to lead us. And throughout the text, what you see Paul do is understand he's under authority, but he submits and serves. And just spoiler alert for you guys, next week you're going to find out Paul was right, boat's going down, okay? If you don't like spoiler alerts, too late, all right? Boat's going, his ship, his ship is sinking, all right? It's not going to be good, okay? And so Paul says, I'm just, I'm going to respect the authority. 
But here's what, here's what you and I, walking away from this text, where we, where we can walk away with it, is just this truth that you and I have the opportunity every single day to lead and influence in a godly, biblical way. Here's a few observations on leadership. And, and I want you to be careful once again. I, I'm going to talk some about organization. I'm going to talk some about family. I'm going to talk some about you in the mirror. And, and I don't, when I talk about organization, I don't want you to think, okay, that, that's not me. Check out. These are just principles that are applicable to wherever you're leading, whoever you're influenced. The first one is this leadership requires being disciplined to lead first. Leadership requires being disciplined to lead first. Here's what that means. Hear first, decide second. Pray first, decide second. Now, I, I'm, I'm good at this occasionally and bad at this most often. I just repent and, and confess, right? But if you have a, a wife, if you're a husband with a wife, then you just know at your core that this one is true, right? So I'm like, hey, Blair, we need to go buy a dairy cow, so, and we need to buy a cow and have a dairy farm because we're going to need milk for the house. And Blair goes, we could just go to Costco and get a jug of milk, right? So my wife constantly takes every thought I have and simplifies it into like, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that, right? Here's the truth. Um, a lot of times the wisest voice in the room, whether it be your family, whether it be your, your team at work, whether it be your a disciple group, the, the wisest voice in the room is often not heard until the leader stops talking. I, I remember when we were getting ready to launch this church and we were in a room uh, doing, some, doing some work, doing a brainstorming on what the first service at the Church of 1122 would look like. And if you, if you know me, if you don't, then, then you know, come meet me afterwards. We'll be best friends forever. Uh, but if you don't know me, here's what you need to know about me. If there's a dry erase board and a dry erase marker, I'm within three feet of it within three seconds. Like I'm just naturally attracted uh, to my beautiful wife and whiteboards. Like it's in that order, Blair, whiteboards, okay? Uh, and so I, I mean, we brainstorm everything, right? When we, go to, when we go to Costco, right, to do the shopping, like, we have a strategic way of what aisles we're going when. Okay, it's just, it's wired in me. I love it. So I'm up in front of this group leading the brainstorming of the first service at the Church of 1122 ever. It's the first one 16 months ago. We're brainstorming it. Now, if you, you my head, I'm going, okay, we're going to need a confetti cannon. Um, we're going to need, like, free iPads for everybody who comes in. Like, the first hundred people get a free iPad. Like, we need, I mean, we need, like, a laser light show of, like, the creation, like, the creation of the world on the side. Right, and it's all about God getting the glory. It's not like how awesome we are. It's, it's completely we got to we got to like have coffee. We got to have like I think Pastor Joby said zip line in for his sermon. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the church of the twenty two. Like so for me in this way, it's like it's like big, huge celebration. Now I've learned that although my ideas are all awesome, they're not all realistic. And so I get up on the whiteboard and I look around our room and I go, Hey guys, what are we gonna do? What's the first thing we're gonna do as a church? And one of our missions coordinators, who I don't even know how the mission coordinator is in the worship design room except for the grace of God, she's in there and she goes, hey, what if the first thing we do as a church is have our staff and elders come stand up front and we just pray? What if that's how we start our church is we pray? And everybody in the room goes, okay, that's step one. That's good. All right. Now, that, that was not the leader of the room. But that was a voice that may have not even should have been in the room. But our existence as a church starts with prayer because of this missions coordinator. It says we should, we should think about this. Second thing is this. Leaders engage the burden of discernment so that the whole can experience the benefit of obedience. Leaders take on the burden of deciding, is this the right thing to do? 
at the right time? Is this what God has called us to do at such a time as this? They take on the burden of prayer, the burden of discernment, the burden of figuring out, is this the right step? So that everyone following can have the joy of, of obedience. Because obedience brings joy. To be obedient before the Lord is good for everybody. So the husband of the family, the, 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 the father of the family, it is, it is your job, our job, to, to take on and discern, is this the right thing? And, and when we don't do good at that, then the family doesn't get to experience joy. As a boss for your company, for your team, it's your job. Now here we, at this church, the way we see the structure working is that Jesus is our chief shepherd. And under his authority, the kind of the next thing down, if you want to talk like an org chart, is our elders. And for us, our elders' responsibility is to pray and discern, to understand God's vision for our church, and to guard it. So this time last year, uh, we're sitting in a room. It's, it's me. It's... Um, Stacy Brown, who, who runs uh, all of our ops and stewardship. She has a whole team that runs all that stuff. And Pastor Joby comes from the elder meeting. He sits in the meeting and, with me and Stacy. And he says, guys, we're, we're, we're ready. It's time to build out the other third of our building. Now, at that point, I could have come up with a thousand good excuses. All right, we're already, we're already, our staff's already just doing way too many different jobs. We haven't been able to narrow their jobs. We're not even fully, a year ago, we're not even fully using square, every square inch of this room we're trying to pay off upon this rock. We, we, you know, I could just come up with a hundred different reasons of why we should have stayed and not built out the back third. But I look at Pastor Joby and I go, Pastor Joby, if you and the elders have done the work of discerning the will of the Lord, and you have the, you've taken on the burden of prayer, and the elders are going, this is where we think God's calling us to, then it's going to work. It's going to be hard, but we're going we're gonna to get in line. We're going to get it done. Now, four weeks ago, we opened up. Uh, the video venue, our sanctuary, that's happening right now, right? So if you have, if you don't like your seat, there's better seats next door. And so uh, we opened that up. We opened up the new Team Haruma. We expanded Safari, which is our preschool. And so we expanded Safari. We added more elementary space. We added more seats. And four weeks ago, we had so many people that had we not done Restore, we would have turned away, I think, like 15 families. We just said, hey, we're glad you're here. We don't have room for your kids. Maybe next week. But because our elders took on the burden of discerning a year ago, is this, where God, is this what God has for us? Then today we get to experience the joy of obedience. It says we didn't have to turn any families away. And we've got more room for more people to become a part of this big dysfunctional family. And that's rooted. That's our joy to experience. But it's the leader's responsibility to discern. Third thing is this. Is that, is that leaders know that authority is structural, but influence is relational. So authority is structural. We get that. If you've ever had a job, you understand that your boss is your boss and not the other way around, right? Um, we understand, students, you understand that your teacher is in charge, right? Whether you want to believe that or not, the teacher is in charge. Uh, for family units, mom and dad, call the shots, right? You don't go to your boss and go, hey, I've got a few things for you. I mean, just, it would not go well. If I walked in Monday morning and said, Pastor Joe, I've got a couple things I need you to do for me this week, right? Just wouldn't work, right? Now, influence is relational. So I know that through my boss, I know that, that through hopefully your boss, is that there's always this conversation of what do you need, how can I help? Authority is structural, we get that, but influence, true influence, is relational. So there's somebody in the family that should be making, has the authority to make the decision. There's somebody in your organization that has the authority to make the decisions. There's somebody almost in every world you live in. If you play sports, there's a team captain, there's a coach. Authority is structural and built in, but influence is relational. And if you don't engage 
influence as relational, your authority over time will mean nothing. Over time, never matter what your title is, if you don't engage your team and your family and your people in relationship and conversation, your, your authority will mean nothing. When we got started on uh, building all the structures for the church of 1122, we just found out um, that we were going to launch this church out of the beach. Uh, and within that, that week or so, uh, Pastor Jerry said, Ryan, we just want you to know that if you want to stay at beach, there's a spot for you here. Pastor Jovi said, hey, when you're ready to talk, let's talk. There's a spot for you on the Church 1122 staff. We got a call from Houston, a call from um, Dallas, and then we got a call from a really cool church in Atlanta. And for me and my wife, Atlanta's home. And so I began to wrestle. I knew that ultimately it, I was going to have to make the decision for my family what we were going to do. And so I just began to pray like crazy. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Five great spots, five great opportunities. I mean, I know I, and so we pull up to, to, to town center and we pull out in front of Old Navy. And the reason I know is that if I'm at the town center, I'm going to Old Navy, right? I'll take my wife on a date to Cantina Laredo. There's a chance we'll stop at Old Navy for two reasons. One, we love Old Navy. And two, I don't know how you shop with kids. We can't figure it out, so we have to go like buy stuff for ourselves without them, okay? So Old Navy, we're stopping. We're in front of Old Navy, um, and, and Blair is sitting in the passenger seat, and I apparently have been like just disconnected all day. And she goes, hey, Ryan, um, when are you just going to go ahead and admit that, that I think that God's got us ready to be at the church 1122, that he keeps giving you vision of what you're supposed to do there, so why don't you just go ahead and, and admit it and say we're staying? Now, I could have told my wife that a hundred times, but for her to have the influence and be able to speak into the decision-making, that's where authority finds mutual submission. Now, I can tell you probably 60 more times where I messed it up, but I got that one right. Right? Influence. Four. Uh, those in authority are responsible to make those under them feel valued, and those under authority are responsible for making those in authority feel respected. So if you're under authority, your job is to make the one who's in charge feel respected. It's why Paul addresses the centurion and the boat captain as sirs. All right? If you're in authority, then your job is to make those you're leading feel valued. It's why Paul got an opportunity to go visit his friends before they left. The centurion was valuing Paul. Now, last night, uh, we're at our house, and we've got some rules on our house. Um, one rule is you got to finish your dinner if you want anything else, right? I'm the expert at that one. I lead by example there, okay? Um, but that's a rule. you got to finish your dinner, and you don't get nothing else, right? Now, the second rule we're working on, or, or policy, or whatever you want to call it, is Emery is now potty trained, right? Two and a half years old, awesome, amazing. She can pee-pee in the potty. It's a blessing of the Lord, right? Now, here's the problem. Emery thinks pee-peeing in the potty is a group activity, she, she thinks we should all be there. So, so my wife, who is infinitely more wise than I am in child rearing, goes, Emery, every time you use the restroom by yourself, you get a chocolate. I've been using the restroom by myself for years, and I haven't got a chocolate, right? I'm getting, getting hosed on this one. So Emery understands if I use the restroom, I get the chocolate. Now, those two rules are in effect. They, they balance each other out. You don't eat your, eat your dinner, but you pee-pee in the potty. You don't get a chocolate because you've got to eat your dinner, right? You've got to go all the rules, right? So Emery didn't eat her dinner. She pee-pees in the potty by herself, and she comes out and goes, I want a chocolate. Now, Daddy, Daddy almost gives her one, so I just, Blair, Blair goes, no, 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 you didn't pee-pee in the potty. I'm like, yep, that chocolate's for me. I didn't mean to give it to you, right? And so Blair goes, you didn't pee-pee, you didn't eat your dinner, so you don't get a chocolate. And my two-and-a-half-year-old takes her finger and points it at Mom 
And he goes, I get a chocolate because I pee pee in the potty by myself. You give me a chocolate. And I thought she was going to add woman. Like, I thought that was coming. And so she is lecturing Blair. Okay? Now, I'm in authority. I'm in charge. I can do one or two things. I can value my wife. I can value my daughter by raising her to maturity. Or I can abdicate responsibility. So what do I do? Come here, Emery. I value, I love you too much to let you grow up and be immature like this. So I'm about to discipline. Now, it's like a five-minute discourse on, on honoring your father and mother and the theological implications of that, right? That's just how I roll. And so we do that. And then I go, now, I, I, I love you so much, I'm going to discipline you to maturity. And so she gets her spankings, she gets in front of the wall, and she has to process and let the tears. And when she's done, she goes to Blair and goes, Mommy, I'm sorry, forgive me. Yes. And then she comes to me and I hug her. Now, I love my wife enough that my little two-and-a-half-year-old, I want to value my wife. My two-and-a-half-year-old ain't talking smack to my woman, right? <laughs> if she does, she gets smacked. That's just what it is, right? And I love Emery so much that I'm not going to let her grow up and be immature. I value her too much. Now, here's how I know she respects me. I ask her every day, who's the best daddy in the world? Now, what you need to know about me and my daughter is we're on a first-name basis. So she goes, Ryan! It makes, I feel so respected. Now, she's also a comedian. Every now and then, she gets a little, little twinkle in her eyes. She goes, Pastor Joby. <laughs> What's up with that, right? But I feel respected. I feel loved. There's this balance of I, I'm going to lead. I'm going to make these decisions. I'm going to love you. And there's just this balance between all three of my girls, right? My wife and my two little girls. And there's this respect and love for me. That, that just fuels my desire to lead them more and lead them better. Now, there's some implications in this on, on two things. There's a, there's a macro impl- implication. There's an implication on organization and structure. And, and what I want to do is show you here at the church how we've taken these four observations and we've kind of tried to infuse them in how we lead. Right? I think this is very helpful because you're, you're a part of the church. If you're a first-time guest, this is how transparent we are. If you've been with us for a long haul, we just want to be clear and honest of who we are and who God's called us to be. And so here, here's what it means for us is, is this, number one, vision is affirmed through top-down leadership. If Jesus is the chief shepherd and there's been a, a board, a body of elders put here at this local church to lead us, then we've got to trust that Jesus placed those elders on purpose and that the vision of Jesus for his church, not us for our church, but Jesus' vision for his church comes through the structure of authority he's built, which is the elders. And so vision for us is top down. It comes from Jesus to the elders. The elders discern it. The elders decide. Then it goes through a couple of teams here called the lead team and the core team. That's just our leadership teams. And we wrestle with it and we articulate it. And vision comes and then vision goes down and out. Right? The second thing is this. is Vision's coming down, but influence is circular and conversational. Right? When, when God gives us vision, when God gives the leader's vision, the elder's vision, our lead pastor, our elder's vision, then it becomes a conversation, not of buy-in, but of permission. Not everyone's got to buy-in, but, but do we, let's talk about this. How does this make sense? How do we articulate it? It comes from the elders and the leadership team. It goes to the staff. It goes to the deacons, serve staff leaders, disciple group leaders. We're in the process of inviting people into covenant membership that's coming up in April that's going to be very important in, in our dialogue, and our conversation about here's what God's calling us to do. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Sometimes vision's so big, we don't have all the answers yet, but we know where God's calling us. The goal is this. It's collaboration. 
between all of us, between the elders and, and the members and the bodies and the people. You just came here one time. The goal for us is collaboration, which we define as this, the right information from the right people at the right time to make the right decision. It's the right, the right information from the right people at the right time to make the right decision. We believe that no one should ever decide alone. Isolated decisions are rarely informed. So when you make an isolated decision, you are making an uninformed decision. So we believe, yes, vision comes from the top down, but it it quickly becomes a collaborative effort, a a conversation, a dialogue about where's God calling us and how do we get there. Because of that, our, our, our church doesn't do voting. We don't do voting, and there's a theological reason. The theological reason is this, is we believe that voting calls a leader to do one or two things. Abdicate his or her responsibility, or simply try to appease people. And I think both of those are poor leadership. So we're we're not a voting church because we believe, I believe that God placed our elders here to lead and not to abdicate. Not to cast down to the people. You decide for yourselves. That's poor leadership. Right? And if you begin to try to appease people, the leader goes from leading in the direction God's called him to lead to trying to lobby people to vote for his agenda. That's dangerous. That's that's not biblical leadership. Now, the other side of this is we don't vote, but at the same time, we also don't dictate. This is not a dictatorship, okay? Um, In dictating, uh, you are obligated to do what's told to you to do. What we prefer is this, dialogue. Not dictate, but dialogue. Let's dialogue about the opportunities to own the vision. That God's given us vision, we don't even make it up. We just receive it. Our elders receive vision. And then we as a church dialogue about, here's where we think God's taken us. And do you agree? Do you, do you share that vision? Let's do it together. Let's unite arms. Let's link together as a family. And let's run after it. Now, here's our goal. Our goal is ultimately that we would trust each other. And, and trust, we would build trust saying, hey, I don't know if you made the right decision, but you had the right information. So collaboration and, and, and doesn't mean I always think you're doing it exactly the way I would do it. But I think if we got the right information and the right people in the room, then we've got the right decision. And so what we want to do is be transparent and clear. We want to bring clarity as a church leadership team. We want to bring clarity about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're doing it. And we want to be honest. When what we're doing is so big, we don't know all the answers yet. And we want to be honest about here's where God's called us to. Not because we're trying to tell you you have to do this. All right, that's, that's foolish to think that, uh, that a leader can manipulate people to just do whatever he wanted. But instead, as an elder body discerns God's will for our church and the vision for our church, we want to be dedicated in going, here's where we think God's called us. And would you, would you want to go with us and join us and walk in this and do what God's doing here together? With that being said, uh, Pastor Joby, who's not here this weekend, he's traveling, um, he wanted to share with us, here's the vision for the Church 1122 over the next year. And so as you watch this video, I want you to think through, this is, our, this is our dialogue going, here's where we think God's calling us, would you join us? That being said, here's Pastor Joe. Hey Church of 1122, Pastor Joe be here. Sorry I couldn't be with you this weekend. I think I'm actually in Texas right now, uh, sharing the gospel um, at a church there. And I want to thank Pastor Ryan Stone so much for preaching this weekend. But I wanted to take the opportunity to share with you what we believe as leadership of the Church of 1122 that God is leading us as a church to do in 2014. 
Now, before I get into 2014, you've got to admit that what God has been doing here at the Church of 1122, it far exceeds everything that we could ever hope or imagine. I mean, just a couple of things that that in 2013, we opened up the Restore area, that our video venue service is happening, that our children's space increased like crazy, that since the day that we opened, over a 1,000 people have surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we just want to celebrate God for who He is and what He's done, and He has done some miraculous things among us. And then as a leadership team, as the elders and the pastors and the staff, as we pray together and seek God's direction for our church. We wanted to share with you, our church family, the things that we believe that He is calling us to do. Now, some of these things we know for sure, and we have a plan, and we'll be rolling them out to you, but, but some of these things we actually just need you to pray for, for us to be able to hear the voice of God and understand exactly what the details are um, in the areas that He's leading to. So the first one is this. One of the biggest things that you'll hear about in 2014 is assimilation. That by God's grace, we have drawn thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people to show up here every week to be a part of this church family, to attend services, to hear the gospel, to worship God, to have their questions answered. And, and we love that, and we believe that we'll continue to expand and grow. But what's heavy on my heart as the lead pastor here is that we... We're not just trying to draw a crowd. We are trying to make disciples. That we are trying to make disciple-making disciples. And so this year, we will roll out covenant membership for the Church of 1122. So for any of you here that would like to move from just an attender of 1122 to an owner of the mission, vision, and values of the Church of 1122, we'll invite you this year to join us as a covenant member. Also, for every person that, that attends on, on this weekend and all the weekends, we want you to take the next step that at the end of every service that you can go right back there to the Connect Center and there are actually live people that will help you take the next step. For some of you, it's a disciple group. For some of you, the next step is to serve on our serve staff for the very first time. Or for some of you, is to sign up to go on that mission trip. So one of the main focuses for 2014 is to assimilate all the folks that, that show up here on the weekends at the Church of 1122. Secondly, um, one, of the, one of the big things that God is laying on us is that we are going to be a multi-site church. That, that we believe that God has drawn so many people unto Himself right here at, at this location that we don't want geography to be a limiting factor to who God will save to the ministry of the Church of 1122. We've already begun that with our video venue experience in the sanctuary, which already has been happening, and we praise God for all the good things that are happening there. But we as a team will develop a multi-site strategy for our church to have multiple locations around the city. Now, this is one of the areas that we do not have figured out yet, and we need your prayers. Would you please pray for the elders, the pastors, the staff, the leadership of this church to hear God clearly in the area of multi-site ministry. Also, there's some big events that happen throughout the life of our church, and we want you to be ready. One, in just a few months, will be Easter, that, that Thousands and thousands and thousands of people will show up on Easter Sunday, and we are praying that God would save hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on Easter Sunday. Another huge event 
um, in our church is our summer beach baptism. Last year, we baptized almost 300 people. We took over the entire beach. Over 2,000 people came to, to celebrate that public profession of Jesus Christ as Lord. And once again, this summer, we're going to do our summer beach baptism, very similar to the way we did it last year. And then the big fall event that we want you to be in prayer about is saturated. It's our multi-night revival right here at our church. God moved in extraordinary ways last year. We're going to bring in um, some of my friends and, and special guests, preachers, teachers, and worship bands from really around the country this year. And so would you be in prayer for those big events, for Easter weekend, for our beach baptism, and then also for Saturated. Now, one of the exciting things that we're on the very front edge of that you're going to hear a lot about this 2014 is the Winn-Dixie at the other end of the shopping center. Um, we are leasing the Winn-Dixie. And one of the things that that means for us that is a big deal is that means that we lock down the parking of our parking lot for our weekend services so so that another supermarket or something can't move into that place. So those parking spots will be for us, and that's a big deal. Now, what are we going to do with the Winn-Dixie? Well, here's what we know. We think God is calling us to put in what we would call a community transformation center. Now, what does that mean? We don't know all the details yet. We're not exactly sure what this community means, but we know that we have been called by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to serve this community and transform this community. So over the next few months, what we'll be doing as a church staff and leaders and elders is we will be discerning God's will on what He would have us do in that Community Transformation Center. So could you please be in prayer for us that we would be able to discern God's will in the Community Transformation Center. And then lastly, the fifth thing is this. It's staff development. Um, we've got a very talented staff. We've got a very capable staff. We've got a growing staff. And we've got a very young staff. So one of the things that I am focused on as the pastor here is staff development over this year. That includes conferences and training and, and meeting with experts and mentors. And so I would just ask you that you be in prayer, that you would pray for the staff of the church of 1122 in 2014, that we would be moldable and humble and that God would grow us up to reach the full potential of everything that he has put in us for his kingdom. And now you'll receive this piece of collateral uh, this weekend that has all of these things spelled out in it in even more detail than I can give you right now. And I want you to do two things. Um, one, I'd like for you to, to keep it in front of you really throughout the whole year so that you would know the direction of your church, of our church, throughout 2014. Um, in some areas, you'll see some real places of victory. I mean, as we roll, as we have rolled out the video venue in the sanctuary, for example, you'll know that's not something that happened on accident, that, that God purposed and planned for that, and you can celebrate those victories. Um, it can also be used almost like a prayer guide. Many of you let me know that you pray for me and you pray for my family. Well, one of the ways you could pray for our church staff family is that you could, you could pray through our 2014 vision for the church of 1122. And it would also just help you be focused on what God has called us to do as a church. Now listen, church, one of the things that I consider, I mean, just one of the great privileges and blessings in my life is that, that I get to be a part of the church of 1122. And I know I end each and every service this way, and this isn't the end of the service, um, but I just want you to know that I love you like crazy. And, and I really mean that, that, 
that what God has put in my heart for our people can only be described as, as supernatural. That I consider it an honor and a joy to partner with you as your pastor and what God is doing in this place. And then I want you to be free. I want you, by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, to be free, to be purchased from sin and death, and to walk in the freedom that He has purchased for you. And that in walking in that freedom, those of us that He has called to a common vision, that we would freely walk together in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So like you hear week after week after week, I love you like crazy, and be free. That's, uh, that's part of our dialogue. It's where we believe God's calling us, and we want to do it together. We want to partner together as a family, as a church body, and run after those things that God's put before us. Now, before we leave, I think it would be wise and a good steward of our time to take these principles, to take this, these things we're learning, and go, now, what, is it, what does it mean for you and I when we walk out those doors? It's very important that you know who we are as a church. I think it's very important that you know where we're going um, but I think maybe the most important thing we could do is when you walk out of here, you're going to be leading somebody, yourself, your family, others, a business, a team. You're, you're leading somebody. So here's just a few things I just want to tighten down for you and for me. The, the first thing is this. First truth for the implication for you and I is this. Um, leadership, the leadership buck stops with you. It stops with you. you, you we, no one in here has any excuse not to lead yourself. Your spiritual growth over this next year, your physical growth, your your emotional growth, the the things that you are going to work on and lead yourself and influence yourself in, um, the leadership of yourself stops. The buck stops with you. you. You can't blame your circumstances. You can't blame your past. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame your boss. Do those have impact? Absolutely. Right, great impact sometimes, but you're where the leadership buck stops in your world. Your family's leadership, men, stops with you. Women, husbands, mothers, dads, your the leadership of your children, the, it stops with you. The leadership of your team, the buck stops with you. The second thing is this: is that don't lead blindly, lead obediently. Right. Now, I know the tendency for me when I hear a message like this and talking about leadership is I want to go out of there, I want to buy a horse, I want to cowboy up, and I want to six-shooter my leadership. Just bam, bam, I'm super excited coming out of the gate, running people over because I had this great idea of being a big, bold leader. Well, don't lead blindly, lead obediently. When you come to an intersection of leadership decisions, a point of decision, when you come to a point where you're realizing I need to change something to have greater influence in my life, I need to make better decisions, then here's how you do it. We even put it in your guide, in your bulletin this weekend. There's a a guide, a decision-making tool that's on a tear-off. And here's how we want to encourage you to lead obediently. First of all, um, start with the Scripture. Now, not every Scripture, not every problem is going to have a Scripture that exactly speaks to it, right? It's not going to be, thou shalt buy the car three years older, right? That's not in there, right? It just doesn't happen. But there is wisdom that you should start with with Scripture that says, should I, should, how do I make this decision? Well, you start with the Word. Then, then go to wise counsel. Go find men and women who have been where you're at that could speak life and speak wisdom into the decision in, that you're about to make. Find somebody. If you're financially struggling, find someone who's 
who's walked through that. If your marriage is in trouble, then please turn off Oprah and go find somebody who has walked through marriage crisis and come out on the other side. You fill in the blank. Seek wise counsel. Then you've read the Bible. You've read the word. You've sought wise counsel. And then even as you're doing those two things, pray. And this is not understated. Like, I know you think I'm in church. Of course, I'm going to go pray. No, I'm talking about dialogue with God. Ask him, God, would you show me your way and your will? And then do this. Listen. Listen. Uh, So oftentimes, this isn't a knock. It's just what we've been taught and what we've known. We don't go to God. God, here's the three things I need you to do. We go to God and we go, God, I I want to dwell with you and abide with you. And I want you to lead my heart. Psalms 37, 4 says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The root of that verse is this. Take delight in God. Delight in Him. Dwell with Him. Abide in Him. And then you'll hear this is the way walk in it. That, that's how Scripture encourages us to talk and to pray. And then there's a moment where you've, you've sought wise counsel. You've studied the Word. You, you've prayed like crazy. And then there's a moment in leadership that every one of us gets to where you have to do this. Guess and go. And the beautiful thing is if you get it all jacked up, it's all right. God's still in charge. If you get it jacked up, you come back and you repent and you start the process over again. But there's a point in everyone's leadership where to lead obediently. You just come to the point. You go, it's time for me to guess and go. Third thing is this. is Your wife and your kids and your team and you are wired to follow. And if you try to abdicate your leadership, the truth is, is that those who are following you cannot abdicate their following. So they will either follow you as you follow Jesus or they'll follow you as you serve yourself. They'll either follow you as you try to run obediently after the call of God on your life or if you abdicate that, they'll just follow the pattern of the world. Same thing with you. The person you look in the mirror every day. If you don't lead and influence yourself towards the cross, yourself will just go towards the patterns of the world. And then finally, what drives you as a leader is what others around you will draft off of. So what drives your leadership will be what you leave for others to draft off of. If it's reactionary, then everybody around you will follow, and it's just constant reaction to what's coming next. If it's fear, then everyone who follows you will follow in fear, scared to take a step, scared of what's next. If it's fearlessness, it's great until something happens wrong. Because if you lead like you're scared of nothing, and as long as everything goes your way, then you look genius. But if you lead like you're scared of nothing, and the wheels fall off, then you're left with nothing. See, here's what I hope we are as individuals. I hope we lead through faith. So that when people draft off us, they're drafting off of faith, not effort. That we would be a people, and I need you to know this, if God placed you in your place of leadership, God placed you there because for some reason he thinks you could do it. He believes you can do it. And I know where you're, I'm in the same spot often going, God, I don't know why you put me here. But God, if you put me here, then I'm just going to have to trust that you're going to lead me so that I can lead the people who are following me. And every time I fall, I'm just going to get back up. Because I try, I got faith that God wouldn't make a mistake. God wouldn't make a mistake. Now, here's the truth. You will follow something and you will lead others. You will influence others to follow what you're following. You'll follow him. You'll run after him. You'll run after Jesus. You'll spend your life and your energy running after the cross and after Jesus. Or you'll spend your life and your energy running after the things of this world. 
And at some point, the people behind you, whether it just be the man in the mirror, whether it just be the woman in the mirror, or whether it be your family, your friends, they will draft off of that and run after the things you teach them to run after. And so the, the question I think I have for us as we walk out is this, is are you a leader worth following? Because you are a leader who's being followed. We're going to end a little different today. I, I just want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Not because it's a magical position, but I just want to give you a little kind of room to yourself to process. And I just want to ask you a few questions, and then I'm going to pray for us. That's how we're going to end today. A little different, but, but hopefully a little, time, a little different on purpose. So I want you to start just where you're at. If you're a believer, I want you to pray about it with God. If you're not, then just process there you're where you're at. I want you to ask this question of yourself. Are you a leader worth following? Are you a leader worth following? What are you following after, running after? Are you disciplined in listening first and deciding second? Are you willing to engage the burden of discernment so that the joy of obedience can be felt by others? Do you understand and execute and walk out and, and act in a way that, that you know that influences relationships. If you're in authority, do you value those under your authority? If you're under authority, do you respect and honor the one who is in charge, whether you agree with them or not? The question we have to wrestle with is this. Is are you a leader worth following? And you can only lead people where you're going. And I just want to encourage you. This is what I'm going to ask to pray about in a second. Is that if you say, yeah, I'm a leader worth following, then you celebrate the grace of Jesus. And if you're not a leader worth following, then, then you do this. You repent and confess. First to Jesus, and then you might have to do it to some other people today. But you repent and confess. So you stay with your heads bowed. But I just want to see, I want to pray for us. But if you're in this room and you'd say, you know what, Ryan, I, I'm a leader that's not worth following. I'm not valuing the people following. I'm not listening. I'm, I'm not, I'm abdicating my responsibility. And I just want to repent to God. I just want to, in this moment, I want to repent. I want to, I want to confess and I want to ask for forgiveness. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm not leading my wife well. I'm not leading my family well. I'm not leading my children well. I'm not leading myself well. I just, just want to repent. I just want to. It's not for me. It's, it's just, it's just an act of obedience. Uh, let me ask another question. Uh, for those of you who are under authority, whether it be the authority of a spouse, a husband, or the authority of a boss, or of parents, or of teachers, and you just need to repent and confess and go, you know what? I haven't respected the authority that God put in my life. I've tried mutiny, I've tried abdication, I've tried, you just, just, that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and say, I, I need to repent of that. I just want to confess that. And then finally, I just want to see hands, just would celebrate. But you know what, I think, I'm, I think I'm walking in obedience here, and I just want to celebrate that. I want to raise my hand to Jesus and go, thank you, Jesus. Anybody just want to celebrate that? 
So I want you to pray where you're at. And I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to, I'm going to close us in prayer. So um, if, any of, if any of those three are yours, you just want to raise your hand and lift it and confess and repent as I pray, you're welcome to. But let me pray for us this morning as we close. God, we love you. And God, thank you that your son led, led, uh, led himself to the cross so that he could lead us to victory and to life. God, I confess and repent on behalf of us in this room who have roles of authority and leadership, whether it be with ourselves or with others. God, we just repent and say that, God, so often we get lazy and want to serve ourselves. and We don't want, to, we don't want the burden of, of leadership. But, God, you give it to us because you know we can handle it. So, God, I repent on behalf of our people who have, who, who have stood in, the, in a place of leadership and not led well. I repent of, for our people who have stood under authority and have not respected it, have not walked under it. God, I've really distrusted you in that process. I repent for them. God, for those who celebrate that they're walking out obedience, God, I just, God, I thank you that, that, that this room is a movement for all people, that we're repenting and celebrating all in one movement because that's who you are. And God, I pray above all that we'd walk out of here not feeling condemned, that we didn't measure up, but feeling freed, feeling convicted where it need to be convicted, but free and free to walk out and, and to be obedient because, God, you've given us everything we need. And, God, it's in, it's in your son's name that we just, we, we just praise you. And we just thank you that you are the one who influenced us to influence others. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. I really want you to hear this before you walk out. I want you to hear that this is a message, not of condemnation, but a message of here's what we've been called to and equipped by the Holy Spirit to do. So you, as you guys leave, just a couple things you want to know. Uh, if you're picking up kids, you're going to go through the dock. Uh, if you didn't get a vision piece on the way in, we've got extras. We want you to take them and put them somewhere to pray through. Uh, and lastly, uh, on your way out, there's people all over campus that will tell you how to get a disciple group, how to get Compass curriculum that starts February 10th. Uh, when we say one of our vision goals for the year is assimilation, we wanted to give you a really easy access, uh, action step. So on your way out, join a group. We love you guys. Pastor Joe, we'll be back next week for week two of Hold Fast. See you next week.